Um, thank you so much to everyone who's engaged with the podcast and listened and liked and subscribed and followed us on social media and interacted with us. Uh, it really means a lot and um, it feels like we've sort of we're sort of building this nice community around the pod and we want that to grow so if you haven't liked and subscribed please do leave us a review uh, if you have a spare moment but most importantly if you know someone in your social circle or in your online circle who would like the podcast uh, please do share it with them let them know about it and uh, hopefully they can enjoy it as well yes indeed tell your mum this week we will be talking about the looming horror that is socially distanced raving and it has not made me a happy boy. <laughs> we'll also be talking about the hypothetical challenge of restarting your record collection from scratch. Well, a hypothetical challenge for me and Eamon and uh, some of our followers on Twitter, but a real challenge for uh, my friend Owen, who went off grid and wanted to restart his record collection entirely. I'll tell you all about that in a moment. And also this week, we will delve into the wild underground world of jungle music with Coco Shah, the CEO of Dope Ammo Records. We're also going to be exploring the phonographic memories of uh, the BBC Six music DJ Tom Ravenscroft. Really looking forward to getting into that with him. And uh, of course, if you didn't know, he is the son of the legendary uh, Radio 1 DJ and tastemaker John Peel. Yeah, and not only does he chat, he tells us about the moment when he went into the big shed and looked at John Peel's record collection. Let's pod! Let's pod! You just distorted the microphone <laughs> with your excitement. <laughs> so, Anne Frankenstein, what goes around? Well, Eamon, uh, as I sip from my WGA very exclusive mug with a picture of my own face on it, which I have to look at every time I take a sip because <laughs> the uh, logo happens to be printed uh, on the left hand side. Yeah. Unconventional, some Unconventional. might say. A mistake, others might say. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> it, it, it means that we've got an unusual product that, like I say, we can just sell it to left-handers. Exactly. And they'll think we're looking after them, whereas in fact we're just covering up our right-handed mistake. <laughs> exactly. Um, tell me what goes around. What have you been up to? Oh, boy. Uh, well, uh, what have I been up to? Uh, so I have been uh, quietly depressing myself by uh, peeking into the future. Via the Lad Bible. Oh, oh dear. Which, Where know, is this going? So the first socially distanced rave nightclub has opened up in the Netherlands. Mm. It's at a place called Doen Rosé. And uh, it's a nightclub that has a, a considerable, quite a fearsome reputation. It's been going for 25 years. So, you know, it's, it's seen it all and done it all. Um, and it looks like a very cool nightclub, but it is one of the most depressing films I've ever seen in my life. The, the social distanced raving. Oh, so this is real. This isn't like some imagined thing. This is like, mm. so this club is opened up, but the social distancing rules are still in place in Holland. And the only way they can do it is they, A, have to be a certain distance apart. But get this, they've banned dancing while standing up. What? So, what is dancing while not standing up? You can dance while sitting down, but to me, it's very difficult to feel like I'm dancing unless my ass is engaged. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's what makes it dancing to me in my world. The headline was all like, nightclubs reopen. And then you look at it and go, oh, Christ, it's but, over. But isn't, your whole th- <laughs> but isn't your whole thing is that you want to get back to DJing now? So surely if this is the, the, the sort of... Um, you know, if, if this is the mode that uh, nightclubs are coming back in, then surely are you, are, you're not happy about the idea of DJing at a sit-down rave? Oh, listen, I'll, I'll come play records for you. Pay me, mm-hmm. that's no problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well up for that. all about the money with you, isn't it? Oh, well, it is Always. <laughs> you know, in fairness, I haven't been paid in three months. Mm-hmm. I'll, listen, I, I'll, I'll, I play little streams online. I'll play, I just play, I play records whether I'm sat around or not. I'm not like you, I like music. <laughs> <laughs> I was just projecting. For me, it really is all about the money. So, yeah, of course I'd go and play. I mean, why not? But it's just, it's over. I think it's time we brought back enclosed DJ booths. You know, like the men behind the glass? Yes. So you've and got the women. Your own, your, and the women, of course. Well, they weren't me then, you know, yeah, but they true. are now because you funny. are a revolutionary. <laughs> it's um, just me <laughs> holding for it. No, but, uh, you know, when they did those, um, those great... Uh, you know, disco parties of yesteryear, the DJs were essentially in a little isolation booth 
behind glass with a room to put all their records. It was lovely. It's a bit like at the standard where you've got that nice little mm. room. Do you know what mm. I mean? Mm. So I could get into that quite happily and I'd be playing anywhere and everywhere if, if I had a little little booth like that because for a start you could lock out people trying to request ABBA. Oh, I'm offered the glass booth. Give me yeah. a glass booth wherever I go. You yeah. know, and yes, the the, the um the standard uh, in King's Cross is a lovely place to play because of that. It's not even, it, it's like, yeah, a whole a whole room for you to set your stuff up. They even have a little sign that says no requests, uh, which feels a bit that. obnoxious, but I still, I still leave it up there. I <laughs> see. I love it because I didn't put it up there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so like, no one can blame me. I'm not being a spoiled sport. It's the management that said there's no requests. So yeah, do you know yeah. what? There's no bloody requests. Get out. I was just thinking about uh, a wonderful experience that I had before lockdown, um, reconnecting with an old friend. So um, there is a guy who I went to school with called Owen, who I was really close to all through school. Um, one of these guys, you know, there's always someone in the friendship group who is kind of um, uh, sort of the one leading the way in terms of like taste and being unafraid to sort of express themselves and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, he was a, a committed um, retrophile like me. So he was really mm. into vinyl. Our lives sort of um, uh, went in completely different different directions. I came to London and he got really into um, ecology and like environmental stuff before it was cool. And uh, he, <laughs> he moved to the west of Ireland, started building this like self-sufficient home basically so that's what he's been doing for the past few years in the meantime he's been living in like uh, a little shack and probably going to the toilet in a hole in the ground so um so owen has been living in the shack and uh, he's about to get electricity in the house that he's building and uh, he always told me that when he got electricity and he was able to buy a record player he would come over to london and we'd go record shopping together and uh, he would rebuild his record collection so that's what we did um Uh, A couple of months ago now, he came over to London. It was a Sunday and uh, I brought him around all these record shops in East London. As you know, from living in Hackney, there's a sort of trail you can do. Um, You know, Love Vinyl, Flashback, Cosmos or Yo-Yo, as they're now called, the BBE store, all these brilliant uh, record shops that are all um, within walking distance of each other in East London. So we had this amazing time and it was just this brilliant experience to the idea of someone with great taste, starting their record collection from scratch. And he had a fair old budget, you know. So it was literally just like me throwing things off the shelves at him, like, how do you feel about hillbilly music? How do you feel about, you know, this thing? What, what, oh, Which Bob see, Dylan I, albums do you want? You know? I would really enjoy that. I'm really sure you would. Oh, it was because one of the things, when you spend, because I've got a lot of stuff, mm. and one of the things I always find frustrating is I'm always seeing, like, really good little bargains, but I've yes. already got them. Yes. And I, I just, you know, sometimes you see an album and I think... Do you know, for four quid, I might buy it again just to lick it and, and love it and cuddle it and stick it under my dinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's also like, it's kind of like the equivalent of of building a capsule wardrobe. Do you know what I mean? Like none of this old tat in your wardrobe and like, you know. Just be, the good stuff. Just yeah. the good stuff. Um, yeah. So we, we built up this beautiful pile of records. And of course, wherever we went, you know, he's, he's tall and handsome and charming and has this strange mm. story about living in a shack on the west coast of Ireland doesn't you know obviously didn't share the stuff about going to the toilet in a hole in the ground but like apart from that <laughs> extremely you know how impressed that lady is don't you <laughs> but you know all these girls wherever we went you know he was we tell them the story like oh he's building his own home he's just getting electricity um you know and uh, and we're building his record collection from scratch and they're all you know fussing over him and stuff yes. it's just an amazing experience and unfortunately uh it, the the covid situation has put the uh, kibosh on his electricity getting yeah so he's still he can only listen to the radio but yes I guess I was curious about um about that whole idea of building your record collection from scratch and like what you think you would would be like essential items to furnish someone's very first oh. I mean it's not his first record collection because he had records in school but you know he started that's, that's quite eight. an interesting thing in itself isn't it because like you, he's obviously gonna he's gonna peg the the good ones he remembers but then there are you know there are so many records out there that are absolute class if you've got someone who genuinely has a, a broad taste mm. 
And he does for sure. Then you know, if, if, give me hundred quid, and I'll I'll sort him out with an amazing starter pack. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Those. But yeah, so what did you get him? What did you get him? Oh, so much stuff. So so he's really into um uh you know the the weird old folk stuff. Robbie Basho, mm. Leo Kotke. Um, he loves Dylan. He loves Nick Nick Drake. Um, you know there are people who we're listening to in school. Your average kind of school kid fair like Hendrix and the Doors and stuff like that. Mm. So we got a lot of that. But then there was also. Um, he has really, really broad taste. And so we spread it out in all directions, like um, some really nice uh, uh, soul compilations, um, some really, uh, yes, the, um, uh, there was a record they had in flashback by the Kentucky Colonels, who were this amazing, like, uh, hillbilly band. Um, so we got him that. And it was just like, uh, he also picked up a copy of um, the Makaya McRaven reworking of uh, Gil Scott Heron's last album. Oh, so yeah, it yeah. was really broad. Like, uh, I mean, contemporary music is not my uh, greatest area of expertise, but I know that's mm. a great album. And he just was willing to pick stuff up off, off the back of my recommendation. My ego, I was like dragging oh, along. Lovely. I love amazing. those. I love those moments where you just go, yeah. come on, eat from my hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'd be waiting for this moment <laughs> all my life. Um, but but just but the, the, the idea of like, uh, can you imagine having built your own home and there's like no internet there's minimal electricity you're probably keeping warm with a fire and suddenly you have this record player and you can just sit and he has the most basic phone do you know what I mean no distractions mm. you can just sit by his fire going through these records and like um, some of them we would have grown up with some of them he would be hearing for the first time but just like it's going to be a magical moment when he finally gets to do that yeah, I mean, to be honest, you lost me at no internet, but. <laughs> Let me, I've got to play the game now. I'm thinking about your man and how you've mm-hmm. described him. What would I get him? Let me see if I can pull out three or so records. I would get him to buy 5,000 layers of The Onion by The Incredible String Band. Oh, he would like that. that good is choice. A crazy good album in mm. its own way. And there's a track on it called The First Girl I Loved, which makes me weep. Um, I think I would also, on a similar tip, because he's got a little bit of American vibe in there, but it's kind of folky and kind mm. of down. So uh, the guy used to be in the Jefferson Airplane, Skip Spence, mm. sort of up close acoustic album. So I'd definitely throw that one at him. Sounds amazing. Um, I'm going to have to pick up a copy of that. Oh, it's I, good. I, I so think it, you said or, but actually it's called or. Or, yeah. A, <laughs> a, a, o, o, a, R. Or. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I know. Skip Biffidy. Another skip. Have you heard of Skip Biffidy? No. They were like the Geordie Beatles. Oh, wow, okay. Oh, so uh, they, they were like an English psychedelic band. And I think they only made one album and a couple of singles and stuff. And it kind of disappeared into the ether. But uh, but it, it was brilliant. It was really, really good. Uh, mm. Really catchy Beatles-y kind of melodies, far out production. Um, and just, I can't understand why they weren't enormous. So then, oh, in July. Oh, uh, yeah, he'd have to have July. And he'd have to have... Now, what I'm really pleased about with you mentioning that is that um, every week we do compile, for better or worse, a Spotify playlist mm. and a YouTube playlist for anyone who wants to explore the music we've discussed further. But we took the editorial decision to make it not a strictly, you know, it's not a mixtape that we make. Mm. It's like, a, it's an appendage to the show. So if you're interested in a certain song and you hear a tiny clip of it, you can go and hear the rest of it. Or if we talk about Skip Spence and you've never heard of him before, you can go and listen to it. Now, what's fun about it is, is that um, because it is basically made up of things that we just randomly talk about, these are not always things you actually want to listen to. <laughs> so uh, yeah. sometimes it becomes a little bit of an in- endurance test, shall we say. <laughs> um, but, but it's always interesting. And if you, you know, you can always skip a track. So that's fine. We're not, we're not, it's not a mix. You can do what you like. But well worth it. I don't know how many people are actually 
taking us up on this but we do them every week if you look in the show notes you'll find a link every week and uh, there are some absolute gems in there but there's some really weird stuff as well and that's almost as much fun that's what it's all about This week's Make Me Believe, we explore the frenetic world of jungle music with human ball of energy Coco Shah, CEO of Dope Ammo Records. Jungle music is the bastard son of rave and reggae, and jungle continues to embed itself in the country's musical DNA. But what is it about this hyperspeed genre that keeps people coming back? Fresh from a string of number one releases in the Juno Jungle chart, Coco is perfectly placed to explain why the jungle is massive continue to stay so strong. Yes, yes, this is Coco from Dopamo Records. I'm going to tell you a little bit about jungle music and why it's been a massive part of my life for the last 20 years. What is jungle music? Well, basically, to me, it's old-school hip-hop breakbeats speeded up to around 160 to 175 BPM with reggae bass lines laid over it. You'll often hear sound clash, reggae, dub samples incorporated into the mix. Also, uh, funk and hip-hop samples also make up jungle music as well. The fast breakbeats really give it high energy and the deep, dark bass lines just eat through your body and before you know it, you'll be vibing out all night. Jungle music for me represents unity. Everyone from all walks of life coming together and just vibing out. tracks really that got me hooked on this music was without a doubt DJ Raps, Engineers Without Fears, uh, Q Projects, Champion Sound and Origin Unknown's Valley of Shadows. These tracks honestly you've got to check them out there's something special and I guarantee they'll get you hooked. Thirty one 
What we're gonna, what we're gonna, what we're gonna do right here is go back, way back, back into time. Here to share his phonographic memories with us this week is DJ, record collector, journalist and broadcaster Tom Ravenscroft. Known for his huge breadth of taste and in particular his affinity with underground music and his ability to spot brilliant new and emerging acts. You can hear Tom in action every Friday night on BBC Six Music and we're thrilled to have him with us now on What Goes Around. Welcome to the pod, Tom Ravenscroft. Hello, how you doing? Good. How are you? How's lockdown I'm, treating you? It's good. It's been like it has been for everyone else. It's been uh, very weird and a bit stressful. But all in all, um, I think I've probably had quite an easy ride of it. I'm still working, so that's nice. Yeah. Have you been? Have you found time to listen to much more music in lockdown? Strange. Or not so much. Well, weirdly, I have. It's for the, like we were in um, in Suffolk for two months, where my um, dad's record collection is. Mm um and since he died like 15 odd years ago i've never really had an opportunity to kind of listen to any of it and i've never um i've never used it in any radio shows or anything like that and because i was there for two months it was kind of the first chance i've had to kind of just go through his records so that's been it's been that's been kind of amazing actually yeah so i saw you've been playing them have you been picking some at random to play on the air yeah, basically, um, I've been pinching an inch uh, at random, <laughs> and um, so just been playing an inch, an an inch of vinyl at random on um, on the, on the Friday evening show. So mm. it's um, it's kind of a mixed bag of stuff. Although it seems to be, I'm kind of mostly using the seven inches, which seem to be um, a lot of dub reggae mm. and strangely loads of um, loads of records from uh, sort of seventies Zimbabwe, which is pretty good. Perfect. Yeah. When he walked in there, I mean, you must have had a moment like, "Where do I start?" Because it's it's a big collection, right? <laughs> yeah, it's about it's about one hundred one hundred eighty thousand records and like that. Oh, so, it's, um, but it's the albums are all very organised, and there's like a, a um, there's a filing system, so you can see what's in there. And um, separately to that, there's like 12 inch singles and seven inch singles and they're kind of not so organized. And so I kind of spent most of my time there because um, it's, kind of, it's quite mysterious. So it's yeah, really just, a bit of a lucky dip. Yeah, but it's, it, it is also because there's so much, it's quite sort of impenetrable. So you sort of stand there for a, an hour or so just looking at walls of records, not really knowing what to do. <laughs> See, I, I often feel like that when I, with the internet, you know, like uh, if you, whether you just turn on your computer, open up the, the web browser and you think, the world is there. What do I want? <laughs> well, it's, that's it. So, I mean, the pinch and inch thing, although time time saving was also just like kind of the only way I could think of doing it, really. Yeah. How, how come it's taken you until now to decide to go and mosey around in there? Um, mainly just because I don't, I don't live there. And Ooh. so, um, and it's... It's also really been just a case of, and you know, you know this yourselves. There's there's so much new music around, and kind of getting sent so much music that um, you're constantly listening to kind of new things and new releases. And a lot of the time, you don't get, unfortunately, time to look back at things that you already own or things that are kind of older bits and bobs. And so, um, yeah, it's been quite nice. I think it's the first time I can ever remember I've sort of listened to old records. I think kind of one of the, the kind of the silver linings of this whole lockdown weirdness is that you, it's given you time to kind of listen to things properly and, and kind of give some records the space they were intended to have, I guess. Mm. Are you missing DJing at all? Do you miss the Oh, gigs? my God, it's driving me absolutely mad. <laughs> oh, and the stupid here. thing is they're still in my diary, so they keep pinging up. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm supposed to be this great rave in Bristol. Yeah, weekend, every Friday night I'm just in miserable at about 6 o'clock as things yeah. start going bing, strong, bing. <laughs> totally. but, but what I've decided to do to make myself feel better is I've gone through my diary and I, I've kept all the dates in because I wanted to work out what I should have been doing and all that kind of thing for various uh, financial reasons. Yes. Um, but I've gone in, I've just edited each of them and I've put a little dog poo emoji in front of me. Nice, that's, been that's nice. I might copy <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's made it's me feel idea. better. Oh, God. It's a proper admin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've got time to do the proper admin now. But yeah, yeah I totally fit. Well, I don't know. I, 
I just I, I don't miss DJing that much but like you say there's every so often there's like something pops up in my diary and it's yeah. just like oh reminders a, read the room there's a couple of like there's like three or four gigs that I was like really really excited about yeah and um that yeah every time I think about it, it really winds me up but also then you get certain records through like I don't know certain kind of like bangers as such mm. and you're like and then you, you've got nowhere to play them and that's really frustrating oh yeah yeah, yeah big yeah. time do you know the psychic mirrors um, yes, okay. Yeah, so they're, uh, I've been waiting for their album to be repressed because I missed it the first time and that just arrived in the post the other day. I could have cried. No. Yeah, so what am I going to do with this? Just listen <laughs> exactly. to the like... Oh, throw it in the bin. Who yeah, this? what the hell? <laughs> yeah, the yeah, trouble is so because the old, uh, the old cash flow is dried up as well. So, you know, there's, sure. no, there's no cash flow. There's no record shops. You know, yeah. and so my my vinyl addiction has, has um, really dried up in the most horrible way. Uh, but the few things I have picked up, I'm just desperate to wheel them out. I'm you know, like that Emma Jean Thackeray movement uh, track. I, I I can't wait to play it to people. Do you know what I mean? I'm playing it over and over on my stereo. Go, please, please, let me have a gig. You know what's going to happen what... when you do play it, though. Everyone's going to ignore it. The dance floor is going to die. The floor. That always yeah. happens. Yeah. You stood there screaming, "What the hell is wrong with you all?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, let's move on to your phonographic memories because you very kindly picked three of them for us. Uh, yeah. well, let's start with the um, uh, the Four Brothers group because you mentioned there was a lot of uh, Zimbabwe and stuff uh, in your dad's collection that you come across. Tell me about this one that you've you've picked and the memory around it. Well, I guess when I, growing up, there's lots of, I never really kind of got into music myself because there was just so much music around me being played like from sort of eight in the morning till midnight, there was just mm. always records on. And so there was, there was kind of no space for anyone to really develop their own tastes as kids because mm. it was just, you just kind of got absorbed everything that was around you. And that was great. And thankfully it was all good stuff. Um, but I guess the first thing that I kind of really got into and kind of thought, oh, maybe this is my scene, was kind of like Zimbabwean music mm. um, from kind of the 70s and 80s. And it was mainly around um, the fact that they came and played, um, they weirdly came and played my dad's 50th birthday party. Do you know, I said that, didn't I? Uh, mm. And because I, I, I heard it, I thought, I, I know it from somewhere, I know it from somewhere. And then about 20 minutes before we came on air, I suddenly went, it was on that live broadcast from PLA Kids and they yeah. played they played that. And I, that is, I mean, I don't know when that was, but that has obviously yeah, lodged itself in my brain for a long, long time. Well, I can just remember, like, I can remember the marquee turning up and then all the, like, like kit arriving. And I mean, it's quite an extravagant thing to do for your birthday. But then they had, I don't even know what they were doing in the UK, but they turned up and they, um, they played in our garden. And I just remember, I was very young, I could have only been maybe eight or something like that. But, um, I remember going in there and just dancing like a lunatic, just not really knowing what what it was or who they were, but just thinking this is like the most fabulous thing I've ever heard, oh, and it's no. kind of, it's sort of stuck with me ever since. And the, the sort of the sounds and the noises they play, and the kind of playing the guitars amazingly high all the time. And every time I hear anything that sort of resembles it or has got any element of it, I just find myself just kind of running madly at it like a rabid dog <laughs> and just consuming it immediately. Um, and so it's yeah, it's really ingrained itself into my to my soul. Was that your niche then for a little while? 
because you know, it was. Did, I mean, yeah. it, seems, it seems kind of pretentious for like a. I was wondering whether you were going to show up with the Spice Girls and take that. <laughs> well, Oasis, I know, but, uh... but it's like, what's yeah, it's a ten-year-old who's only listens to like <laughs> stuff recorded out of the shed in Zimbabwe. Um, so it's. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it was just those. It was like the Bundu Boys and the Four Brothers and Thomas Matfumo. I guess they were my like they're my trio of things. And I just um, my dad gave me a load of tapes of theirs, and I just um, I just had them on a loop over and over again. Mm. Were you I, the I, type as well? Were you kind of influencing your peers at that time? You know, were you, obviously being a DJ, it's in your blood to be like, oh my god, everyone listen to this. Were you forcing your friends to get into that stuff as well, or were they into I it by don't choice? I think so. I think everyone just listened to. As far as I'm aware, like everybody just listened to Michael Jackson until Nirvana arrived. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, it, it just those are the two things. So it just went Michael Jackson, Nirvana, and then once Kurt died, everyone got into jungle. And it was um and then Britpop came, which I is still like for me the worst thing that ever happened in music. So yeah, I agree. Um, Case on that. Case on that all the way. So from yeah, so there's these I guess I guess no one else was listening to it in my in my group of friends, no. Let's move on to your second one then, uh, the Laraji record, This Too Shall Pass. I have to say, um, I, I mean, I wasn't familiar with any of your uh, three phonographic memory okay. choices, but um, this one, there's something about solo piano music. I don't oh know if you God. feel the same way. It just breaks my heart instantly. Something, it just c- makes my ears connect to my tear ducts <laughs> immediately. I don't think I could listen to it the whole way through. It's so beautiful. Why, why did you well, pick this one? Well, he's kind of, I mean, he's a, uh, he's an interesting character. I mean, his, his music doesn't ordinarily sound like this track particularly. This is a new record, actually, which mm. is, is, is about to come out. Um, but he started making music a long, long time ago. In fact, I think he, he kind of came to fame because he was um, sort of busking in the US and, and Brian Eno left a little note in his money pot Did and they ended mean? up making a record together. Oh, um, so that, that's <laughs> wow. kind of how he came to prominence. So... Um, and then he's, I mean, he's just made so much music over the years, like mostly like very beautiful um, meditation tapes mm. with spoken word over them. And then he also does these laughter workshops, which have taken place a few times in East London. And uh, I've been to festivals. one of those. Have you? Yeah. What? Yeah. Please explain. Oh, yeah. What is this all about? Well, I was invited to one once, but I was thinking I'm too much of a misery and I, I didn't know if I could fake laugh it. So <laughs> Mate, it, was like... it, was, it was beyond weird and I didn't last the course. It was <laughs> in, it, weirdly, it was in, it was in Spitalfields Market. Was it? And okay. they, they, they were having some sort of jamboree there that day. And uh, this we were just kind of walking past and this woman was like, oh, come in, come come join our workshop. And we were like, well, uh, where the hell have a look? And we got in there and then, uh, then everyone was stood around a circle and then they just started doing this, like, breathe in, breathe out. And then it's like, ha, 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 ha. And yeah. honestly, I thought I'd dropped some acid and forgotten about it because <laughs> after five <laughs> minutes of that, I didn't know which way was up. It was it was a yeah, really could... strange thing. I feel uncomfortable enough when I'm just sort of stood on my own in my room. The idea of having to kind of fake laugh in front of a like, load of people, I thought was just kind of more than I could bear. Really. <laughs> well, the strangeness of it is that um, you, you kind of have to go with it because well, this is it. There's, yeah, there's all these. You know, it's like a, it's like when when you're at work and someone says, "Oh, well, the uh, work party this year is fancy dress," and you go, "Oh no!" <laughs> so you've got to do it. So you you know you go and you do your best by it. So I'm in this circle and everyone's doing the. <gasps> <gasps> this kind of stuff and um, the ha- huffing and laughing and, and different types of laughing. You laugh like you're really angry. And it's like, what? You know, or, you know, really strange instructions. But the thing about it is, after a couple of minutes, the, the regulation of your breathing makes you kind of have this weird, you know, your head gets starved of oxygen in some way. Right. And it is like, um, the closest thing I can I can liken it to is like if you did, if you huffed loads of gas and air, like when your wife was okay. giving birth, sure. then that, that was what it was like. Well, interestingly, like the re- I kind of first came across his music because my wife asked me to make like a mixtape of, uh, of music for when she went into labour. This mm. was about seven years ago. Um, and I made a playlist which I still have somewhere. It's called something I called it something stupid like Spirit Birth or something. And um, nice. And I basically put lots of kind of what I thought would be useful music in in that situation. And then after I put it together, I realised that almost all of it was by some chap called Laraji. So I started um, kind of looking into it, and then fell sort of hopelessly in love with him. But this this single that I've chosen, this new one, um, this too shall pass. 
Um, it's from this new record. It's one of those records. Every so often, I, I I get sent a new record, and I put it on, and it kind of catches me so immediately that I almost sort of um, I almost have to storm out the room. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I was often sort of swearing, I'm kind of swearing at my computer, and I sort of storm out in awe. Sounds like um, a new laughter workshop. <laughs> yeah, I know. So this was kind of one of these. It just sort of like just sort of blew me away. Though. So beautiful. Does your so? How did the tape? How did the? I was going to say mixtape. It probably wasn't a cassette tape, was it? That you made for your wife going yeah, through labour. How did the mix go down? Did, did it did did it alleviate any uh, discomfort? Well, I don't get in between the screams. There's me going. What? But well, what about the mix? What about the mix? Is it good? That. Yeah. Well, tell me what you think about the mix. Um, so yeah. It, 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 well, I mean, it's it's, it's been through three. Uh, Mix has made it through three labors now, Aww. so it's um, oh, so you use the my, same mix for every one, yeah. I've, I've added to it a little bit over the years, yeah. but um, I think the um, is it, the spirit birth is, is still there pretty much. In fact, I've got it here in front of me, a lot of Justin Walter as well. Do you know Justin no, Walter? Who's that? Oh my god, he made this album for the cranky label called Unseen Forces. Um, he's a trumpet player. Um, yeah, it's on the cranky label, and it's just oh my, it's just the most beautiful record. Is it going to make uh, me angry and storm out of the room? Well, <laughs> in awe rather than rage, it's kind of almost just anger that you're incapable of making such a thing. When I made uh, my wife uh, a mix for for our child's birth, I obviously did the same sort of thing. It's kind of quite a lot of ambient stuff and and sort of uh, clean line sort of um, electronic music, let's say. Um, and it was, it was a very nice tape. I was really, really proud of it. Some samples of things that we'd done together. I'd recorded oh, nice. and mixed them in. So we went to New York and went to FOA Shorts, Swartz, the uh, toy company, you know, where in big when they dance on the big piano or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. So the, when you go into that shop, there's this voice that goes, welcome to FOA Shorts, boys and girls. So I had all this. and It's a really nice intro to the whole thing. And it's kind of childlike and felt very apt anyway. And yeah. I really put my heart and soul and made this lovely mix. And we did play it, played it several times. I vastly underestimated how long giving birth takes. Sure. Because uh, I didn't have a 24-hour tape to put it on. So um, uh, it was only CD length, uh, and that, that really wasn't enough. So we played it many, many times over. And it, it was good on the night, but I cannot play a single track ever again. But I was about to say, neither ever ever again. Be, yeah, you'll never be able to go into that shop again without first <laughs> Not just that. Again. I mean, like, if, if, if Lucy, my wife, hears a note of it, She's having a terrible <laughs> flashback to the most That's awful experience. Is that is that the same for your wife, Tom? Is it tainted a little bit? No, I don't think so. I mean, um, but she's heard it three think, times now, so it's probably. Yeah, not he's a better DJ than me, so you know it's probably. A it's mix. Not, well, it's not that. I think she's. Um, yeah, she doesn't seem to care. She's pretty hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> it's really for us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, if I if I was going through labour, which is unlikely, but if I was to have a kid and my boyfriend decided to make a mix for me to listen to while I was giving birth, I'd be furious. <laughs> I'd be like, listen to me. I, I did not. This was not. I don't want you thinking for a second that this I this was my idea. Oh, fair enough. I, okay. I wasn't like you have to take my mix. Um, <laughs> like I, I, I'm not. I, did, I didn't force the mix on her. I want everyone okay, to, to have to be clear about this. I don't. 
forcing mixes <laughs> on pregnant women is not my thing. Unless you're DJing and pregnant women happen to be there. Well, yes, in which case, maybe. Yeah. We have discussed uh, before the uh, the sort of giving and receiving of mixtapes as a kind of romantic gesture, mm. which mm. used to be all the rage. I don't know if it still is, but uh, in, in my day, definitely. I don't think I've ever had a relationship that didn't begin with a mixtape. And uh, I loved Anne's attitude towards it, which was like, how dare you? which is like I'd be so mortified if that happened to me but it's so so annoying because like well the modern equivalent is like sometimes you know mod dads will tweet me with I guess it's a music recommendation but they'll just tweet me like a YouTube link it's just like okay you want me to listen to like what why are you sending this to me is this a recommendation (laughs) don't force your music taste on me that's my job you're you're a real island aren't you you're you're, you're like surrounded by by Waters. You know, it's all about fucking the patriarchy, and sometimes the patriarchy gives you like an hour and a half of music to listen to, and you're just sure. like, I got my own music, and I don't. Mm. Then you have to listen to it, and you have to be like, Wow, you're so you know so much about music. My problem with that sort of thing is people are always sending like little a link to a YouTube or whatever it might be, but normally when they're sending it, I'm either listening because it's normally you say, Oh, I'm listening to this, and it's really good, and then they say, Have you listened to this? Well, I'm not going to listen to it now because I've just said how much I'm enjoying this. Yeah. So then I'm thinking, well, I'll bookmark that. I'll, I'll read that later. Or I'm on yeah. my phone, you know, and it's going to yeah. sound terrible out these speakers. So why would I listen to that now? You know? Yeah. So apologies <laughs> to anyone who has ever sent me something and I've just blatantly ignored them. There are, there are circumstances you can't see. <laughs> but I think sometimes um, because we're all in positions where, you know, it's our job to force music on other people, we're kind of casual about it, whereas other people don't get to do that in a sort of sure. formal sense. So any opportunity they get to do that they're going to jump at it this is true i think it's fair enough it's yeah. uh, i like the fact you used the word force as well <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to pick up on that <laughs> as well yeah I, I, I like to think yeah, of it as an like, invitation <laughs> and no, it's, it's way more aggressive than that, <laughs> in my case yes i yeah. really do need a laughing workshop <laughs> I, I did want to say that like you mentioned Anne, um a, there's a certain quality about a solo piano that really isn't matched in many other spheres, I don't think. There's something about pianos because they have, it's one of the few instruments where you play the bass and the middle and the top all at the same time. You, and you've got, you've, you've got all the notes. <laughs> you've got all the notes right there in front of you. And when it's done well, like I, I love um, like Thelonious Monk, for example, and he's done loads of great stuff with bands. But some of the most striking and kind of almost hard to listen to but hard to uh, well, I want to say look away but listen away you know there's a, there's a quality about that solo piano which is intimate and right in front of you and inescapable there's this great Thelonious Monk record which actually just come out called Palo Alto oh, you been send this? yeah we played this this uh, yeah, this afternoon yeah. on the show tell the story because it's so cool well I don't have it in front of, you probably well you probably remember it clearer than me I was it's about somebody basically asking if he'd come and play at their university and obviously assuming he wouldn't and he did yeah it's this guy this kid 16 year old kid in uh, 1968 huge right. monk fan and basically uh, wrote to him and was like please can you I mean the press release tries to couch it in this idea idea of like calming racial tension or something but that seems a bit opportunistic uh, in the times we're living in but yeah uh, basically he wrote to Monk and he said I can afford to pay you $500 can you please come and play at my school Um, and he said yes and this guy this kid was like trying to sell tickets um, for this gig at $2 each and nobody (laughs) believed it Um, everyone was basically waiting with their $2 in the car park to see if he turned (laughs) up before handing their money over (laughs) yeah before storming the place so, uh, so yeah, such a cool story. Have you heard? Um, have you heard the record yet? I have. Yeah, I've, I've, I've put it in. Um, I've got it in the, my show next week. It's yeah, really gorgeous. It's yeah. so nice. It's so I'm nice to invest in that you. One. Yeah, I love a bit of money. I think I once wrote to then Jericho. (laughs) It's not as cool, but I just thought I'd throw it in there. Was that in the interest of calming racial tension? Uh, No, that was in the interest of getting free records (laughs) because they were like before they'd kind of charted here. They played in New York and I heard them through there. And then I think they played the Tube. That was right. They played the Tube. Mm. And so I was massively into them and finally went to see them. But I've been trying to get three of their records. To their great credit, I threw this pathetic note on stage. And uh, just a month or so before Christmas, I got a package from then Jericho Management Stop. with the three wow. records I couldn't find. And That's um, incredible. Do you know what? That was one of the nicest things that ever happened to me because, you know, 
I'm, I, I, I am and certainly was even more so then someone mm -hmm. who's prone to idol worship. And um, <laughs> I just didn't believe that I could make that connection, you know, because nowadays in social media, I could just tweet someone and they might tweet back, they might not. Mm -hmm. But in those days, pop stars really were a million miles away from you. Do you know what I mean? And when this sure. package came through, I was overjoyed. And I've still got the little <laughs> note that was written with it oh, saying accept these as an early Christmas present. <laughs> so big up Mark Shaw and then Jericho, bless them. Um, do, do you Did you have a relationship to pop and chart music growing up, Tom? Or was that kind of a no-go zone in your house? Or did it not appeal to you? I, I, really, I, wish I, I want to say yes, because it sounds really kind of like potentially fucked <laughs> over. I, just, I really didn't, to be honest mm. with you. So it's, um, it was just... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really remember getting into anything in the charts at all. Mm. Um, just went, you know, pretty much. I was just really into kind of grunge, and that was, mm. and that was kind of the first sort of thing. Which I guess that kind of made was in the charts a bit, sort of when you know, Nirvana on top of the pops and things like that. So mm. I was kind of into the, that whole scene. But then when that ended, and the kind of the, the new wave of of Britpop sort of started taking over the charts and all the kind of the heyday of NME and all that kind of thing. I just like, I just, I just found it, I don't know, I just couldn't bear it really. Mm. Um, so I pretty much ducked out of anything involving guitars um, mm. until I think pretty much between sort of Kurt Cobain dying and the White Stripes arriving. I don't think I really listened to any guitars at all. I just, yeah. um, I just listened to hip hop and jungle and breaks. When I used to work in the, in a, an office, uh, and I, I was uh, you know a good fifteen twenty years older than most of the other kids, and then you know the, occasionally the, the the music discussion would come out, and one of, one of the questions I was always being asked by them was like, "Oh, which side were you, Blur or Oasis?" It was honestly the least interesting thing that was happening in the country. Yeah. There was like whole new genres of music, like jungle and garage, and all these different things coming out of the woodwork that we'd never heard before, that didn't yeah. exist before. Not only we hadn't heard, it didn't exist. Uh, you know, trip hop and, and massive attack and all these sort of things coming out. I couldn't care less yeah. about two Beatles revivalists battling it out. <laughs> I suppose that is the thing about Britpop though you know in my case I was just at the the prime age for it I think I was so, whatever I was 10 or 11 or 12 and or no one's blaming you darling listen I'm not saying I was committed to it I'm just saying I was aware of it and I thought it was cool but it definitely led a, a, a generation and like a lot of my peers back in time towards the music and people who had influenced those sure those bands. sure of course yeah, yeah so i guess they served a purpose in that respect but you know you've you've done well in terms of dodging that you must look back on that era now and feel quite smug that you managed not to get caught up in that whole thing well i mean there might i don't know maybe there becomes some weird period in my life where i suddenly get really really into it and uh, um <laughs> It does mean that from like I don't all of my records from the nineties are all twelve inch singles. So it's um yeah, I have I have an annoying twelve inch single problem because they take up obviously it's a lot of um, <laughs> yeah. a lot of space for not a lot of noise. They're not resourceful, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um let's move on to your third phonographic memory then, which is a lovely folky uh track, Yana Hunter. Mm -hmm. 
I know she's connected with Devendra Banhart in some way. Is she on? She's on his record label, isn't she? I it? think I'm not sure. I think back maybe back in the day. I think they toured together. Mm. Um, I think yeah. I think they're probably mates. I'm not entirely sure. Mm. She's from from the US. She's in. Uh, she's been in kind of a few different bands. But when I first kind of started listening to her music, she was just going under her um, under her own name, and um, it, it kind of ties in with. Um, me first sort of kind of admitting that I secretly quite like the idea of doing radio myself mm. um, and I was very lucky indeed to get um, uh, a job doing a podcast for Channel 4 Radio which mm. briefly existed and my dad's uh, assistant producer basically brought me on board for that so we started doing these podcasts and it was like hilariously well funded because it was um channel four basically were backing it they'd never done radio before and they were kind of putting tv budgets on <laughs> us making these like idiotic podcasts um and the other funny thing is it was kind of the early days of podcasts there was only like there's probably only like 20 podcasts on earth i was gonna say mm. when was this who was listening this was, the other yeah. thing well, this is it so it was like it must have been like i don't know 2000 and 2006 mm. So we were like we were in the top three in the iTunes chart That's every amazing. week. You and this only, American Life. Well, it was, I think <laughs> it's even before two. that. It really? was like well, it, there was only like ten people in the chart, so it's just about what order we were in, rather than whether <laughs> you were in the top ten. Um, oh, I wish it was those days again, eh? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> so it's um, but it, the good thing was it meant that we were able to have um, we had sessions on our podcast. So we one of the first one I ever booked was um was Jana Hunter mm. and she kind of came in to uh, a studio that weirdly we were hiring off Manfred Mann down by the <laughs> by the Cutty Sark yeah I know no, they it, their own studio yeah at, at Cutty Sark and it was um he occasionally would like pop by and sort of watch us through the window see what we were doing <laughs> and then uh, kind of wander off but um yeah it's, it's basically just this time of me feeling extraordinarily kind of lucky and also sort of not really knowing if I should be doing this or if I dare do this mm. and um I can remember sort of her coming in and playing and me just thinking this is awesome and if I can get away with this for a while it'd be pretty good <laughs> was what? that was that a difficult thing to sort of come to terms with the fact that you also wanted to do radio did you struggle with kind of the making shadow. sense of that to yourself yeah I mean I think I probably still do a little bit I mean it's um it's it's nothing I'd really considered ever before until he died and it wasn't it wasn't really something I'd ever thought of doing but it was a world that I'd always lived in my mm. whole life you know mm. and we'd always had you know the radio teams around and there's all the engineers and all the other presenters and DJs and everyone that we kind of knew and this sort of weird radio family that we all adore so much um, and I guess when my dad died and that ended I was kind of like oh I didn't realize I was gonna miss that world so much yeah. um, and so when the opportunity came up to do it, I thought, well, you know, you know, this is some pretty extreme nepotism, but I think I might just take it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So um, I always say, take anything, any break you get, just <laughs> yes, grab hold. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I always felt a little bit like, um, you know, like a pretender, but it was kind of worth it. But that association has kind of... I mean, it hasn't faded away, but it's not like the number one thing people think of. Well, yeah, there's the advantage. I mean, it's the advantage of not having, um, you know, the, the same silly surname. So it's, um, I mean, I argue which is sillier, but it's, um, <laughs> it, I mean, it's definitely, um, it's definitely been an advantage because even, you know, to this day, a lot, of, a lot of my listeners almost on a weekly basis tweet in going, oh my God, I've just realised who your dad is. So it's, um, <laughs> I guess I've done quite a good job of sort of trying to separate. So, wait, so when you 100%, were yeah. when you were taking those first steps, um, I mean, it's interesting that this only kind of came to you afterwards, but it must have been quite a daunting thing just to you know put yourself out there in that position because you must have been worrying about what everyone was going to say. Were they all going to shout nepotism and throw things at you? Or, or Well, they still do going? a little bit. But, um, it's well, I mean, it's I fine. think you've it's carved fair. your own it's niche fair. now. Yeah. 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 And also, I mean, you know, it's true. So it's fair enough. But it's, um, it was, yeah, it was a bit terrifying. And because it was very soon after he died. So there was, I was mm. getting kind of, um, he was getting quite a lot of press. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he was getting, yeah. he was getting in all the papers that I was, do I, I'd been doing it. And, 
So I guess everyone's tuning in and going, wow, he's clearly never done this before. Um, <laughs> what a terrible way to learn with yeah, everyone staring so right God, at you. How can, you. how can anyone talk that fast? And so um, it was, yeah, I was, oh. I was lucky. I, I think it's quite rare that they'd let anyone that bad stay on the radio for that long. But thankfully, they, um, they left me on there long enough that I learned to slow down a bit. Yeah, I I was te- I was so dreadful when I was first on the radio. I had to keep a little notebook, and anytime <laughs> anyone said anything vaguely nice to me, I would write it down in this notebook just to reassure myself to keep <laughs> going. I was That's okay. Do you dreadful. still have it? I, do you know, I should. I definitely still have it somewhere. I should dig it out. I'm sure oh. it'll just make me feel completely pathetic inside. Oh, no, let, let's do a feature. I want. I want you reading God. them out. Yeah. <laughs> I want you reading them out over some gentle solo piano music. Oh that's what God, I will cry. But that's funny. So, so obviously something made you persevere. Then, in 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 the face of all that pressure, and also feeling like you were doing it too fast, or you know, didn't quite have a, a an immediate aptitude for it. Um, you, you obviously there was something there that made you keep it up. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's kind of, it's just, it's addictive, isn't it? I think once oh, yeah. you, once you get used to finding records and going, these are great, and then sharing them with people, mm-hmm. when, you know, and lockdown's been kind of an example of this, when you suddenly don't have people to share it with, you start going slightly mad. And it's, <laughs> yeah. um, so I think once you've, once you're part of that world, it's really, it's it's really hard to, to turn it off. And I mean, I think if I was to lose my radio show at any point in time, I could see myself sort of just like DJing to, you know, stray cats or whatever would listen. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just maybe just a form of madness. I don't know, but um, it's uh, just it, addictive, uh, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and it, yeah. I think if it's in you, 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 you can't help but do it. I mean, like, I haven't had any gigs in three and a bit months now. Uh, and literally, I, w- I would DJ to anyone, anything. The cat is sick of my shit, you know. <laughs> my daughter, is, in no uncertain terms, tells me when to, when to shut up. I just, just like, you know, like, and I've started doing little bits on the internet to like, you know, a, you know, a handful of people. But do you know what? I would rather do that than not because sure. I, I just love that sensation of of putting the music and letting people seeing what they make of it because I make something in my head of it and I want to see what they make of it do you know what I mean yeah yeah I think it's also just thing of like the idea of knowing that other people in different rooms are um are listening to the same record at you at the same time we have this yeah. funny thing in the house where like we watch the Simpsons on all the time but if someone puts Simpsons on and it's like on on it's like a downloaded file so mm. it's not being streamed i won't watch it and my wife was like oh well, you're going to bring that stupid thing it's like you have to watch with the nation or i can't watch it <laughs> it's like if like the idea of watching a dvd of the simpsons is somehow like like horrific it's like if we're not watching with the nation i don't want to see this like it's what? like it's the joy it's the joy of knowing this idiotic cartoon is going out in other people's houses what? it's part of the pleasure Twitter's really done that for me because I, I, I kind of live on Twitter. That's my social media home, if you like. And um, what initially got me into it was um, shows that I otherwise would hate and never watch in a million years, like your X Factors or whatever, you know, all the all the crap stuff that is, that is on, suddenly became the funniest thing of the week <laughs> because you'd sit there and you and 100,000 people around Great Britain and the world would just rip the piss out of it live. And it, I, I just loved that. And I loved the feeling of, um, I think it also it coincided with me moving to London. And you know, right. London's like, you know, you don't bump into people, you have to arrange to meet people. So it's, it's, it's a lonely place uh, some of the time. And I think that whole thing of being able to share a moment in time even things like antiques roadshow god i love nothing better than just tweeting along to <laughs> antiques roadshow shouting sell it sell it you know it's nicked that sort of thing i'll never stop finding that funny other people around the country just making these little quips it's a lovely thing yeah it's nice. so tom are you one of the few people then who's still committed to broadcast tv yeah, maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe it's just The Simpsons. I just feel like you can't, you can't watch it. <laughs> no, it's that's like fair you, enough. Yeah, it's like you have to watch this with everyone else. You can't watch this on your own. Well, that's, so, yeah. I mean, The Simpsons was an event, you know, every night at yeah. six on Sky, we used to watch it. Yeah, it's, I know what you mean. It would seem weird to I'm just, a bit like uh, this with radio. I think I, I, I very rarely listen. Um, I very rarely go kind of back and listen to radio shows. Mm. If, if I kind of, if I miss a show when it goes out, I, I don't tend to kind of go back and find it again. So yeah. 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 I also, alive yeah, no, exactly. And I, and I, I really hate, um, like today our social media guy 
put up something on Twitter, which is like something that I said about the Jazz Cafe crowdfunding campaign. Um, just a little clip of what I was saying over a, uh, a picture of me up on our social media. It's just like, don't fucking take a clip of something I said live that's probably full of errors. <laughs> I know, I, I, I know, I have had that before, and I was like, what? Like. I only said it in the knowledge that it was immediately gone exactly. forever. You recorded yeah. it? It's fleeting. That's the whole yeah. point. Well, they all do it now, though, don't they? Because everything goes on Mixcloud straight after you've done it. And so live radio, you suffer twice, do you know? <laughs> you've, got the, you've got the nerves going up to it. Then you do it, you think, brilliant, I've done it. And then you, it comes back to you. And this echo where oh. all you can hear is everything you got wrong for the whole time. Oh, hours, totally. You know? And also, like, we... we um, uh, you probably know this. Martin Freeman and Eddie Piller have a new... Um, jazz compilation coming out uh, in a couple of weeks time and so we chatted to them we set up this uh, chat with them a couple of days ago and obviously Martin had been listening to the my jazz fm show just an hour in advance of when when we spoke and the first thing he said to me was like um why you know uh, Bob Dylan didn't write Mr Bojangles why did you credit Nina Simone what did you like, oh, Jesus, the whole oh. point is that I see you're not supposed to have, you know, and, and already like six people had contacted me on various different social media to say the same thing. I think I've, I've, I've conveniently got to a stage uh, I, after 10 years of doing this where I get so much wrong that people <laughs> now just assume that everything I say is incorrect and I just get away with it. So it's, um, it's, I mean, this kind of comfort zone now where I don't, it doesn't really matter anymore. That's the also, place you, to be. Also, if you say something really fast and mumble, no one really knows whether you're right or wrong. So. That's true. I've 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 worked on my diction too much. I need to let it go back yeah, to where you've it got was to mumble before. that. You've got to mumble that. So the other advantage <laughs> of being really monotone as well is that no one really knows what's going on. <laughs> That's good so tip. When you having you know we're talking about this now, and and you you were talking about your um kind of nervousness to get involved and 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 sort of blustering your way into it and all that stuff. Was there a point that you can remember where you felt like the puzzle pieces locked in place and you suddenly knew what you were doing? I, I, no, I don't, I'm not even there yet. <laughs> That's kind of reassuring, thanks. But yeah, I I've, um, I'm not even close. Um, no, I still, um, I still, I try, to, I, I try not to think about it too much because um, I think otherwise I sort of panic about like, what the hell am I doing? Thank you so much. I'll let you get on with your day. Have you got anything else interesting planned today? I say anything well, else as though this was an interesting well, no, thing. No, well, this is the most interesting <laughs> thing by miles. Well, so my, the, the, um, I basically got behind the door of my studio. I imagine uh, <laughs> I have three children waiting there to see which one of them uh, can borrow my phone. And um, that's, <laughs> then, it's, then it's just managing my phone in other people's hands um, <laughs> until till about eight o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> My son comes into my bedroom in every morning. He comes in and tiptoes in and he knows where my phone is and he gets it. And then he basically pulls my hand out from the bed and he gets the thumbprint off my sleeping, <laughs> off my sleeping hand to download games. And I've got, this, wow. I've got this feeling that when I die and everyone's like, what do you want? It's like, I want his fucking thumb. <laughs> yeah. Just get, that, his, get him his own phone. Phone's cut free. Cut that thumb off. <laughs> it's time he got his own phone, surely. Yeah. Well, he's, he's six. Perfect, um, perfect yeah. age. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the rest of the day... Um, yeah, just kind of tidying up uh, my shows on this evening. Oh, yeah. and it's kind of, of course, The other weird yeah. thing about lockdown is that I've never... It's the first time in my life I've ever listened to one of my shows. <laughs> How's and that so, experience? It's... Um, well, I, I was correct that I was monotone. Um, and then <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's, it's strange. It's strange being... Um, it's strange being a listener, really, mm. you know. Yeah. But it's, I'd, I'd still rather 
be in the studio rather than at home. There we go. It's very weird. And also, like, do you, because uh, presumably in the studio, well, I pictured the BBC, you know, every presenter has an army of like 16 producers fussing around them at all times. Some of them, some of them do. Yeah. Okay. Do you not have the access to those? No, I don't know. I have, um, <laughs> I have a couple of very reliable, slightly grumpy men. Um, <laughs> we all need but, that. Yeah. yeah, it's... Um, no, it's it, especially at the moment. They've the teams are um, they basically the teams are all focused on having to keep the daytime shows live. Oh yeah. So and they can't have people in all the time. So everyone's on rotation. So they, the daytime shows are using even more staff than they were normally would because mm. they're kind of doing two days on, two days off. But it's um, uh, yeah, I've got a, a couple of people that are sat at home who kind of help me out and edit stuff up. But normally, normally there's sort of three of us in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that must be nice. And surely they, they're there to uh, intercept if you're about to say something completely wrong about Bob Dylan so. and Mr. Bojangles. Or... Most of the time they're just talking about football and <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what's crisps we should eat from the shop. And um, there's, I don't know. I mean, I probably shouldn't admit these things, but it's um, just office gossip. Yeah. Whilst, you know, yeah, yeah. I, li- I like that idea of, of kind of having having the backroom team basically are, are almost against you. <laughs> well, I know it's true. I, I, I've I've had many uh, many people over the years who, who kind of sit there looking at me, and I can sort of see in their eyes that they're deep down they're just thinking, "I hate all your records." <laughs> and, um... Oh, that's tough. Yeah, but that's I've good. certainly had a few gigs like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But surely that represents, you know. The most difficult possible listener that you're trying to turn in your direction. Yeah, it's like it's, that um, one person who refuses to dance. Well, <laughs> at the moment, I've got. I think at the moment, I've got one, one, uh, one member of the team who likes it and one who's indifferent, and it's, it's the best I've had it. So it's. Um, I'll take that. I love that you know that they don't even bother trying to pretend that they're anything more than indifferent. Yeah, it's, you can see it in the eyes. <laughs> Yeah, once you've been DJing out live for a little while, you, you, you can just <laughs> you look at someone and think, I'm bombing, I'm dying. <laughs> they, well, leave. I think when, when you play live, they really let you know, don't they? Oh, yes. yeah. oh yeah. No uncertain terms. Something to look forward to when you get that uh, Emma Jean Thackeray record out, Amy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's gonna, I've got a great mix for the Moody Man track with it. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, you already thought it out, okay. <laughs> oh, man, I thought it out. It's all I've been doing for months, Tom, is just to imagine. Because the only thing I can do right now is just imagine myself at Wembley Stadium with everyone going crackers and thinking <laughs> that's, that's how it's going to be. Don't get your hopes up, as my mum likes to say. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll get notions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Tom Ravenscroft, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your phonographic memories with us. It's been a pleasure. Lovely to talk to you both. Thank you for having me. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Tom. It's been really nice. And uh, have a have a lovely time. Let's hope this uh, lockdown thing ends safely soon enough and we're all back in front of a crowd watching that one person stare at us going, Yeah, no, I mate. know. No, mate, not that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, I did one a couple of years ago and I got booked and they basically, when I arrived there, there was two Hindus. And the uh, the guy who booked me came over and said, where are all your Twitter followers? And I was like, oh. <laughs> 